You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. On this episode of the EdUp Experience, we welcome Dr. Creston Davis, founder, CEO, and chancellor of the Global Center for Advanced Studies in GCAS College, Dublin. He presents his new and innovative model of higher education, which is a decentralized education venture technology and green business incubator co-owned by faculty, graduates, and investors based on cryptocurrency. Interested in hearing more? Well, let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience. Joe Salustio here. This is Elizabeth Lyba. And on the line, we have Dr. Creston Davis from the Global Hello. Center for Advanced Studies. Preston, how's it going? Hi. It's going well. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Liz. It's really a pleasure to be here, and I hope you guys are doing well back in the States. Well, okay, so back in the States. So that, that implies that you are not in the States. So where in the world are you right now? Currently, I'm on the GCAS farm, our center in France. Well, look at you living the dream over there in France, I bet, huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is quite oh. nice. Everything's uh, reopened and, uh, oh. you know, things are back to normal. And, you know, the people wear masks still, you know, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're opening things up here and it's really nice. Well, that's, that's uh, you know, I was going to ask you about that. Of course, anybody who comes on this podcast during the time of COVID-19, which has basically been the entire time we started this podcast, you know, how did you, how did you do through this uh, pandemic, your health, uh, your family, your circle? Uh, how's everybody fared during that time? Well, really, in a way, our model itself uh, really actually accelerated because uh, the transition to online learning happened midstream for many institutions. We were already doing this. In fact, we were the first uh, institution of higher education to back in 2013 to really put folks in all across the world who would never have access to, you know, renowned philosophers, influencers, visionaries, direct access. And so in that sense, uh, we've done very well and even had a lot more applications coming in as a result. On the other side, we had one investor who passed from COVID. Uh, one of our financial supporters, and uh, we've had our honorary president, Lewis Gordon, who is the renowned philosopher. Uh, he he actually got COVID, so you know we've uh, we've gone through our community has gone through some highs and lows. Okay, well I think that goes for for a lot of the communities around, and hopefully more highs than lows. Even though at least here in the United States things are are still uh, uh, rocky, if you will. But let's let's jump right into it. You know, GCAS College, the Global Center for Advanced Studies. You know, for those uh, people we have on the podcast that are listening, that are intrigued, tell us more about GCAS and the work that you do. Well, I appreciate the time and the effort to reach out and to think about what we're up to. You know, what we put together is a, a unique model. It's never done been done before in higher education. Our model is unique in a number of different ways, not just because our tuition levels are a couple thousand a year for degrees, but also because 
when students graduate, any investment that they put into their tuition is converted into ownership shares upon graduation. So we really are a, a different model. We've, in, we've created an ecosystem that really is about the student. It's about the care of the student, not just pedagogically, but economically. And when you, when you hear the expression, teach the full student, teach the whole range of who a person is, we take that very seriously, including the economic level. So our, we've also created a, an ecosystem that's uh, our own cryptocurrency. Uh, that is a way for our students to earn uh, tokens that they can use to bring down their tuition even further. We have one student who's earned enough tokens that uh, he doesn't have to pay a dime. And when he graduates, he's expected to get uh, turn his tokens into ownership shares. So in fact, and contrary to most models uh, that happen in higher education where a student graduates, they're in massive debt to the tune of almost $40,000 a year just for the BA level in the United States. Uh, our model flips that and in a way that empowers our students economically through some uh, tokened assets and as well as uh, ownership value in GCAS College. And that means that we are, in fact, a limited company um, in, 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 a, in a certain kind of way that's similar to a B Corp in California. That is, you know, our assets are turned back into the college development itself. And ultimately, um, our faculty own, our staff own the college, our investors co-own the college with us, and our graduates. So it's a different model. And we believe, given our faculty is the top in the world, we believe we're extremely competitive on that level. But competitive on a human level in a way that higher education models today that dominate, uh, that really are about debt drive, you know, debt, 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 uh, we flip that and we empower our students on every level imaginable. That's interesting. And so, so are you, uh, are you offer online and on ground or do you have a, are you um, a hybrid models to talk more about the model itself and accessibility yeah, so in that way? To, yeah, thanks, Joe. You know, here in the EU, uh, as we are undergoing our accreditation process through the European Qualifications Framework, uh, through QQI in Ireland, we are a blended learning. So, yes, we have low residency seminars that take place throughout the world in different locations. So we've taught in Havana, Cuba. We've taught in Athens and, you know, teamed up with the University of Cincinnati and Cincinnati. In any place imaginable in New York, uh, we had a class, we taught a class with Oliver Stone, Richard Wolf, and a Pulitzer Prize winner, Chris Hedges in New York. So, you know, our model is very versatile in a way that when researchers in different locations around the world, and we have nine centers now around the world, and from Jakarta is our newest one. And so we materialize around a subject that students are interested in exploring that is infused into our degree programs. So we can be, we're very mobile, uh, very light, uh, lightweight in terms of, uh, we don't have a lot of overhead. And yeah, so our model is blended and it's low residency and in located in different uh, locations around the world. And it's really exciting because you get to meet new people. You get to have platforms where Somebody's speaking in Spanish and it's immediately translated into English and you're able to discuss texts that that are pollenized across you know, sectors, across language barriers in ways that's never really been done before. And it's 
super empowering, super exciting. So yeah, we're we're really excited about our model in that way. Thanks for asking. Of course, and you know that's really exciting. Anytime we have a new model enter higher education, it's uh, it, it's uh, a disruptor, uh, if you will. And I you know I applaud you for for looking at a, a different type of model and in looking um, at interest, right? Because you're you're uh, based in Dublin and uh, you're doing low low do you call it low impact residencies uh, across the country and sure. across the nation, across the world. Um, what's interest look like? Are you getting out there? Is this a uh, organic type of interest that you get for, uh, for referrals and staff and faculty? Because uh, you know, when you're, uh, when you're in one place and you're trying to, to advertise in a lot of places, you, you know, it costs a lot of dollars. So how, how are you bringing students to you? Is that happening more organically? You're doing a lot of social media. Talk about how you get your message yeah. out there. It's a good question, Joe, and I thank you very much. I mean, there's no way that we can start with our with our budget. There's no way we can compete with, you know, the traditional universities that spend ten, twenty thousand a month on advertising their programs. Uh, we we don't spend uh, hardly any money on the marketing. Our marketing strictly comes from word of mouth uh, through uh, different. Uh, events that we hold. Uh, we had a conference in Athens, Greece a couple years ago where we had a couple thousand people show up uh, that was for free. We often do a lot of free events. So it, we don't, you know, part of our crypto economy that we have, it's really a tracking system. It rewards students that are in GCAS College uh, who will advertise and spread the word of mouth um, in the way that uh, and so they're rewarded accordingly. So that's the way, instead of us paying for a marketing firm to advertise for us, uh, we, we run it through our own, you know, our own people, our own community. And that's sort of the way we, we've been doing it. And we've been growing and we have a lot of applications, a lot of our researchers that we call our students researchers, because we're all searching and researching and searching again for who we are, a better world, better insights, new innovations. And uh, so, you know, the way we, we uh, do that is through each other. Uh, we're not very large. You know, we have uh, around 40 uh, degree students, master's and PhD, and we're about to launch our BA program in September. So we're really excited about that. That's a free program for students who qualify. Amazing. All right, Liz, over to you. I know. I'm just like mind blown. Just sitting here listening because this is so fascinating to me. This idea of almost, um, I think we talked about this with um, Warren Kennard about this idea of crowdsourcing and about this idea of developing a community of discourse and, and how we're able to um, bounce ideas off of each other. And like you said, the students are researchers and they're creating knowledge. And, and that's a theme that's come up a lot in the podcast as well. Um, I just have so many questions. I have so many things bouncing around in my head right now. Who came up with this idea? Is this something that you kind of just had, you just wanted to launch something that was going to be able to alleviate the concept of debt? I love the idea of the cryptocurrency and creating all these different knowledge bases where the student can actually become a part of. It reminded me of, I don't know if you remember this, uh, Joe, I think Ken Newvin, he posted an article, I want to say he tagged both of us in it about Roblox, which my, my kids play like incessantly all day. 
and it's something like a virtual reality where all the, the, the all of the all of the people that play, both adults and a lot of youngsters play, but they all actually create this. It's almost like a, a self-sustaining universe. So it kind of reminds me of this in that you know you can you can actually contribute to it. You can be a part of it because a lot of people that play the game actually build the worlds that are in it, and they actually can monetize that. So I think this is really nice. exciting. I don't even know what my question is, but yeah, no, I mean, how did that, you come up with that idea? idea? Like, yeah, like how did you come up with that? What made you feel as though education? Because I always felt like that. I always felt like, well, education should be something that's self-sustaining. It shouldn't be something that hurts students and puts them in the debt that's crippling so they can't go on to be successful. Right. It should be something that actually elevates them. It sounds like this is what that's doing, but I'm just yeah, such an this, innovative thing that, that I'm... Thank you. I mean, isn't that, Liz, what the, what a society should do for the younger generation is support them uh, so that you can you can really foster the conditions in which new innovations for solving or addressing our most vexing problems that we face on on the planet in our existence. You, know, you think of the environmental crisis being foremost among them. And now, of course, we're in a pandemic, you know. So uh, what isn't the society's basic responsibility, if it really cares about its citizens, to foster the most innovative possibilities there. And I think that by putting our young people into massive debt uh, to the tune now of $1.6 trillion and growing uh, every mm -hmm. second, you know, that to me doesn't seem like a society is fostering the conditions for really elevating, you know, genius levels of innovation, identifying who who are the folks who can really think across and, and against the grain of, you know, hegemonic understandings of what it means to be. And, you know, that's where you're going to get advancements. That's where you're going to get leaps. And, you know, for me, you asked the question of, you know, how did this come around? You know, I'll share with you, like I grew up in very modest, very, very modest conditions, working class, and I, I didn't have the grades to go to college. And so I went in the Army, was in a airborne reconnaissance unit, and um, I had an accident uh, one day parachuting in Hawaii. And that really caused a crisis for me because I was very athletic and successful in a, you know, an elite unit. And, you know, here I was broken and I, you know, it was possible I wouldn't be able to run again, at least the early diagnosis. And so for me, it was a question of like, how do I go on without my physical attributes in life? And that's when I started to read and I realized I had dyslexia. And then suddenly, I mean, I can't really explain it to you in, in words because it just opened up, even though words were the key, you know, that's the paradox, I guess, but it opened up so many avenues of understanding. I didn't even know what history was, okay? And it, these basic things here, you know, 20 years old in the military, and you don't even know, like, how you came about. What, what are the conditions that brought us into our present day? And after reading and these doors opening up, I really wanted that to, to share with others in a similar condition, poor, working class that didn't have access, that was always told you're not good enough, and I, I, for me, my life is about trying to open those doors up for myself, for others. And so I ended, you know, I went, went off and, you know, went to Duke, did my master's degree, went to Yale, finished my PhD at University of Virginia. 
under Slavoj Zizek. And, you know, I got a couple job offers and finally I took the tenure track offer at Rollins and was promoted to an associate professor. But through that experience, and Rollins is a great, Rollins College is a great liberal arts college. So it's nothing about Rollins College. I, I could start to see the system itself where students were going into, my students that I cared for and I love, you know, were going into debt and they couldn't find jobs. And here they were crushed. Their dreams at 23 years old were crushed. And for me, I couldn't handle that. Like if I went into this profession to open doors up and I was actually like part of a system that would crush even more students in their lives and their prospects. And we're talking about students who don't have the privilege of the, you know, the 1%. We're talking about the majority of, of Americans. And I couldn't be part of that. So I started to really think through a different model. And so I, you know, in the end, I voluntarily gave up my associate professorship and um, took out my retirement in 2013 and started the Global Center for Advanced Studies. And I'm not a business guy. I've learned and, you know, we've made, you know, I, I, I should have been mentored, I think. Uh, I didn't even know how to create a website at the time. And, you know, but through that process of creating the ship while you're sailing it, you open up avenues and you meet people, you know, you, you work, we work with Lady Gaga, we work with uh, Oliver Stone and amazing Pulitzer Prize winners and amazing human beings who are like at the forefront of how knowledge is just, is created. And to be part of that process is, you know, and that's what it's about that, you know, teaching is about the encounter of individuals coming together, risking the unknowable. It's scary. Real learning is scary. And if we're not willing to, you know, risk seeing what is possible, that can be terrifying and frightening, but it can be a joy shared together. If, if that's the core of the model that we have. And I think that, you know, all these technologies, all these, you know, these billion, billion dollar, you know, institutions where, for example, like Harvard, where the four top hedge fund managers made as much or almost as much as the entire faculty, you know, these aren't universities. These are, these are empires of real estate. These are empires of hedge funds that are only pretend, they're only universities for the 501c3 status. And that's a farce. And it's dangerous. It's toxic. And I, you know, what do, we, we created something organic and ethical you know, using the principle of beneficence where you're caring for the student on all levels. What happens to them when they get out of the college? You know, kick them out, ask them to send in checks in, in the next year, and meanwhile they're paying banks off for their student loans? That's not a way to educate our young people. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's the model. You preach, you yep. preach a sermon there, Crescent. That's well, like, poor, I'm mind-blown here. Cornell West is my good friend, and uh, you know I, I've, I've taken a couple cues from from. I see that. I, I I must say, you got the cadence down pat because I was like, well, I was on no. every word here. <laughs> How does it work though logistically? How does it work logistically? Because you yeah. offer the master's and the PhD, and you have the bachelor's program that's going to be coming out. Yeah. You know, yeah, as you know, because you're um, you were in the higher ed traditional sphere. It's usually. Um, a resistance to something different like this. You know, you have accreditation, you have to jump through the hoops to get accreditation or, right. you know, making sure that you are aligning in terms of, you know, making sure that the credits that you have to have and 
have you found that there's been some, uh, you know, some hurdles that you have to overcome where you're saying something and I'm like on every word, but a lot of times in traditional education, yep. there's a lot of naysayers that'll be like, no, that's never going to work. Like, you can't have something that you, it has to be done yeah, in the traditional way. Yep. So how have you been able to navigate it. that? Yeah, well, let's face it, you know, there's tons of new colleges for profits that are popping up. And I think the worst thing you can do is, you know, prop up a, a new higher education institution and wrangle students in there, mislead students and do masses amounts of harm. Uh, it, it's we see it every every day. And I could mention a few for profits that are really just, you know, it, it's horrifying. So, you, you know, that's the first thing you, you need to make sure the quality standards, quality assurance are all there. And, you know, early a couple years ago, 2015, I GCAS partnered with a an accredited university located in Austria and in Slovenia. And they asked me to to be the, the vice dean of the MA and PhD program in the humanities. So. I learned how to go through the accreditation process uh, through that through that uh, experience for a couple years, and from that experience, I, I was able to understand, you know, like the quality levels, you know, hiring someone to externally and objectively, you know, look at and pop holes in curricula, pop holes in, a, you know, a, a, you know, quality issues, and so to me, you don't want to have one single participant or student in anything to do with a program unless that program has all the all the administrative logistics the the infrastructure there that's going to guide them and be open uh, to how they need uh, how their research is going and whether or not you know a lot of times we reject applications because we just look at each other and say do we really have the resources to support this student fully? And that's, you know, we can't, we can't take on someone who wants to research something that's outside of our expertise or outside of what we can do. So um, for, for me, the, the very important, most important thing is under transparency as you start something new. And that's why on our website, we have it very clearly written on every page, you know, we're pursuing a provider status. And uh, so we, we are partnering with a accredited university, but, uh, you know, and there are opportunities there for students to, to have, you know, accredited degrees uh, working with us. And we, you know, we certainly have had buyout offers. We've had, you know, a lot of partnerships that are from big schools, well-known schools who want to partner with what we're doing because it's really exciting and the people we work with are top. Um, you know, they ultimately want to fold you into their structure. And, it, and that's a hard thing, you know, and, you know, I certainly, we certainly don't have tons of money, you know, we don't have a, a big endowment, but what we do have is an honest, you know, if we can bring on a student, we, we know that we can do it for their tenure of the degree program and in, in a way that our faculty care, you know, our faculty call our, if you're a student, call the faculty and, and, you know, work through an issues that are happening, not just a, a research wise, but pastorally, but also in terms of being a human being. 
You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hey guys, this is Joe, and I just want to remind you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. On the website, you're going to find all of our past episodes that we've done with some of the top leaders in higher education today, talking about innovations, ideas, and issues facing our industry today, finding out what may happen in the future, what higher ed needs to look like moving forward. So again, check out www.edupexperience.com. Now, let's get back to the action. A lot of times, the traditional university is so frightened for, you know, liability issues because, you know, if a student's paying 60000 in, in loans a year, they have claims. Uh, and the entitlement it goes up astronomically, and as a result, you have to tighten down risk management. And you know, and you know, for us, it's a it's a partnership. When our students come through our doors and participate in a degree program, they're going to be with us for the rest of their life. And in the end, when they were in mid thirties or they want to they want to have a down payment on a house, they can cash in their shares. Uh, potentially and earn, you know, funds uh, from those shares that they've invested through tuition. You know, so they're lifelong learners, but also partners. It's not just simply a degree, see you later. It's a degree, welcome aboard. You're now on, you know, you're now on the ownership side, potentially on faculty side. You know, so that's the key for, for what we're doing. Some people compared us to like in old monastic communities in the Middle Ages when the Roman Empire fell apart and lack of security, you know, people formed the castle and behind which, you know, communities of scribes would copy manuscripts and philosophical uh, documents. And and they would would produce knowledge, uh, nominalism from Paris, uh, the... The you know, Naples, the you know the law, the legal side. All these monasteries had their different takes, and they ultimately became like Oxford University. And in a way, we're kind of monastic, not non-religiously monastic, because we're we're owners. We have invested interest of growing GCAS on every level. Everything we do is it, like you like you were using the analogy of the of the game that you can earn tokens, and you know that's sort of the part of the the. I think the overall plan of, of what we're implementing and certainly we're tweaking it where we don't have the, you know, we don't have the final product. We're part of the part of the experiment uh, that is working. And if something doesn't work, we we tweak it and we move on together. Our faculty council, you know, votes on things. They, you know, they recommend uh, board members. They recommend uh, faculty appointments. So, it's really exciting to see and to be part of other people's lives in this way. Sorry, that's a long answer. I think I, <laughs> I meandered from here to there and hither, hither. But, um, but yeah, you get the idea. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Yeah. One of the interesting, mm-hmm. yeah, one of the interesting parts of the, the model, when you think about all the nuances that we, we face uh, and challenges we face in higher ed, you know, one is uh, student engagement, you know, and so are you more engaged if you're, earning stake in an organization in your school uh, to become an owner so uh, you and you'd hope the answer is yes so you know as you look at students that you're going to admit you know you're really looking for the ones that want to own that stake in the organization then you look at faculty and, and you say faculty engagement is always something that that um, higher ed struggles with at different mm-hmm. points. But now if, you, if you're a faculty member and you have stake in the organization, are you more motivated to do more than you 
could do to help a student through because you know that helping that student helps you. I mean, it really is an interesting. Fascinating, um, right? Yeah, payoff model and in, in all. Yeah, and it helps cut on liability. It, it, you know, it helps mitigate liability risk because if you're part of an owner, you know, you're 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 concerned. You're not just like egotistical professor who can, you know, who can uh, traverse, you know, and and be creepy uh, because you're co you know you can you're covered by tenure. You're you're part of, you know, both sides here. You you have everything at stake to be the best you can be at, at all times. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's a good, you know, professors who serve on committees, faculty committees, they get tokens and then they can cash those tokens in for uh, shares or they can, they can use those tokens in other ways. So, you know, it, it's, you know, you, you don't want to have too much in the way of like, ooh, you know, you know, earn, 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 you know, because you do want that sense of like uh, a care, a heart. Right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it doesn't, you, you also have to have respect uh, for people investing their time and investing their, their skills. So it's a, it's a balance that, you know, we hope we can, we can strike. Okay. So 90, I don't know what list, like 95% of our audience is uh, from the United States. We have a lot of, uh, in our listenership, we have, I, I would say we have a, a um, diverse listenership, but primarily people who work in education at the, at the manager, director, and above level, a lot of, a lot of top line and top level administrators like yourself. How do you break into the U.S. market in a more impactful way? Or let me re-ask the question, is breaking into the U.S. market in your strategic plan? And, and is this a place you would be doing business with a lot more students? It's a good question about the United States. Most of our students do come from the United States, you know, from, you know, John, Johns Hopkins University, somebody just mm. was uh, accepted into, uh, from Columbia University into our PhD program. So we do have the majority of our students come from the United States. Uh, so, you know, we did start a nonprofit in the U.S., but we realized like getting accredited in the United States is seven years and probably between seven and ten million dollars. And we thought, you know, with that kind of with that kind of funds, that kind of time, uh, you can it, it, you would just spend all your time raising the funds. And um, and, you know, we just thought. In in Europe, they still value education not as a profit making, although it's changing because of the neoliberal model in the United States. The privatization model uh, is coming to Europe. It certainly has invaded in Britain, but in the United in Europe, rather, uh, education is valued. It's state sponsored, uh, which it it used to be in the United States until the Reagan era, where you know, as you probably well know. Uh, Reagan started, you know, cut, cut taxes, 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 and that was a really good political maneuver. But over time, you cut taxes to universities, and guess who puts, guess who has the burden? You know, the, it's the student who has to go into debt now because the state, the state university can't afford uh, without, right. you know, tax base. So it all gets shifted onto who the student. Oh, we'll just take out loans, just sign here, and in the end, you know, that's very toxic. Uh, so we we certainly do uh, we have a center in Santa Barbara, a, you know, a, a center with Miles Square Labs in in New York, and New Jersey. 
So, you know, uh, in terms of accreditation, we are seeking accreditation in the EU because I, I do believe the EU model for education is well more, uh, much better supported overall culturally. And I think being part of that kind of context is much more nurturing than the cutthroat context of the United States. Mm. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I, you know, Liz knows this and every guest we've had on, we're going to see and we're already seeing a slimming of of the number of universities in the United States due to COVID. There are some small universities that may have, you know, a year, maybe two of operational Mm -hmm. costs. If they have any kind of enrollment decline that ceases, you know, university is going to cease to exist. And so what's happening is universities that want to survive, and I'm seeing it. uh, I have a lot of expertise in enrollment marketing Mm -hmm. operations. I'm seeing uh, more universities enter the online space and start to compete for for students. And so the you know the the competition for students in the U.S. is at an all time high because it's it's a it's survive or die, sure. uh, mm-hmm. and that creates yeah. a lot of um, oh, I don't know it takes the focus off teaching and learning and at times and you know it can put the focus on on enrollment and not that it. Not that it's not always on enrollment, because anybody that tells you that sure. it's not is uh, being naive. But, but I think uh, you know there's a concern that the that the race, so to speak, for students will create a lot of unintended consequences that will affect the university experience. So, you know, I see your point. You know, and I don't know a lot about the uh, 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 model for education outside of Britain. I know Britain. Uh, is very similar to U.S. in terms of commodification in those types of areas, but it's good to hear that the rest of the EU may be uh, more uh, nurturing in terms of a, a state view. So that's that's great, and it, and it can be a great incubator for alternative yeah. models, right? I and think so. so. I think you, so. And you, well, you're on the podcast, and we're we're honored to have you here. But how are you, um, in getting back to my original question, your students, it sounds like they're evangelists and, and they're out there promoting your brand. Uh, but how are you um, individually as, a, as the CEO? Are you out there? Are you talking about this model? Are you doing circuits and podcasts and appearances or at least uh, virtual appearances at this point to talk about your, your model and, and why this is a benefit for higher ed? Yes, uh, for sure. And, you know, a lot of my time is spent – you know, locating the right kinds of uh, financial supporters. Uh, we had a, a great uh, progressive supporter from Finland who was really behind what we were doing and saw that it was the future in terms of just empowering students with assets and learning and, and creating that environment. And But uh, sadly, he died in early January. And so, Part of a lot of what I do is look for the the right kinds of investors. It's really easy for me to get an investor. An investor can see what our model, it sees that it's growing um, and, you know, can look at it and go, well, that's a good investment. Uh, For sure it is. But uh, we're not looking for those kind of investors who just see their, their eyes light up when you tell them, you know, the bottom line. Um, We're looking for investors who, who have a heart and who see the model, the ethical model that we're doing and how it's changing people's lives. And of course, they're going to get a return, but that's not the point, you know, so trying to find, you know, trying to eschew all the 
you know, the hedge funds that offer me, you know, a line of credit, uh, to, right. the, you know, the banks, we're in no loans. We, we've never stepped into a loan territory because that's not part of our model, you know, and we had buyout offers, which, of course, this isn't something to be sold. It's, it's something to be grown like a, a plant or a flower, a tree. So for us, uh, you know, and for what I do is I, I do a lot of administrative work. I, I still... I still have uh, about 12 supervisees uh, who are doing work in PhD level, MA level, uh, really exciting stuff. I mean, some of our students are doing incredible stuff. Like what's the relationship between environmental warming, the, the warming of the globe and human migration? Like that, oh. and Tonina, Tonina from the London School of Economics, she did her master's there. She's doing that for her PhD, you know? and. So we're doing so many incredible projects that I want to be part of that. Like really where my heart is, is teaching. That's my heart. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I am an administrator just by the fact that, you know, this is, you have to put it together. You have to, you know, you have to have quality assurance. You have to, you know, make sure everything's governance, uh, the governance is running. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I was invited, I, I get invited a lot or have been, to universities, but it, it, and I'll share with you one really kind of mind-blowing experience. I, I was I won't name the university because I, I but uh, I, it will eventually uh, come out in the book I'm writing about GCAS. Uh, but I was at a university and it was on. Uh, I was invited as a uh, as a speaker, maybe a keynote. I can't remember. And uh, I was talking about the model, and the president of that university got up, took the microphone away, and told everybody, I don't know if I can cuss on here, but told everybody in the room, told everybody in the room, I've never heard so much horse bonk in my life. And, you know, this is a a conference on civil society, okay? And here I was just explaining my basic experience of doing an alternative college, and this president couldn't handle it. And it was, uh, I, I was at Cardiff College, uh, Cardiff University in Wales uh, as a speaker, and the provost, I think Imperial College London, I'm not sure, so bracket that, but some provosts got up and just couldn't handle the fact that, that intellectuals could come together and intellectuals could shape this, the institution and not professional administrators, okay? And they just mm-hmm. couldn't, they, they really, it just took them aback and frustrated them. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it was just, I was just sort of just, and maybe this model only works at a micro level. Like, you know, we, we have about 400 uh, folks around the world. Uh, so maybe it does only work at a micro level. We don't know. Uh, it, it's scalable for sure, but like, we're not, it, we scale in relationship to somebody who comes in the door. Can we can we can we handle right. this research agenda? You know, so that's where it's a, it's an old mom and pa in a way uh, way of doing education. And you know, getting back to your point about the U.S. Uh, with a lot of schools and universities going down because of COVID, it's like it's it's like the Barnes and Noble syndrome. The first Barnes mm-hmm. and Noble takes off the mom and pa, and then of course the Amazon takes over the Barnes and Noble. Like it's all, if you look at the logic of how the United States is run, it's, it's dog eat dog and the bigger dog wins. And that's not just, 
That's not that's not what education should be about. And the state doesn't certainly support. Look at all the loans that students are in. So, you know, you, you get this monster eats monster eats a big monster. And eventually you're just going to end up with, you know, these elite universities with billion dollar endowments and these private liberal arts colleges, which really is the heart of American education, these liberal arts colleges. Right. That's the heart of American higher education. They're gone. They're going. They're dying. And, you know, I for me, I like to think of uh, what GCAS is doing is, uh, you know, we're taking advantage of technology, certainly. But why pay why not pay a thousand or two thousand euros a year to get a good degree from top professors in the world and then and do Zoom and do, you know, we, we partner with the St. Hughes College, Oxford, where we do our summer institute next year. And, you know, why why spend you know, tens of thousands of dollars just to get a Zoom to be taught in Zoom? OK, so for us, it, it, it just makes sense that, uh, you know, you come in, you, you study with like Jean-Luc Nancy, one of the philosophers who created who started postmodernism back in the 60s. He's, you know, he's on our faculty. Braha Edinger is one of the top artists and psychoanalysts in the world. She's on our faculty. We've worked with, you know, one of the founding feminist philosophers of France, Lusa Rigori. You know, so these these are amazing people that we that they care about our model and want to share with our students who care about the model. You know, that's why they're there. They're not there because of the big football team. You know, go, go, you know, go MU, you know, or whatever, you know, it, it's, we're not commodified by the, the NCAA, which is a corporation that's taking over universities. We don't, we're not going to put in a lazy river for our students because our students, our students aren't, don't care about the, the bikini color they're wearing at the pool, sucking down a, a margarita reading halfway reading Cosmo, you know, like that's not what our students care about. And so it, it, it doesn't mean those kinds of students who see our model and wants to think about it can't participate for sure. But we're not going to provide the, the, you know, the lazy river and the most high tech sauna available. That's not what we're about. We, you know, for us, it's about uh, creating knowledge and controlling the means of knowledge production through our faculty and intellectuals. That's what we that's what we're doing. <laughs> Will it work? I don't know. Maybe we could talk in five years. But so far, it's been seven years. So, and we're growing. So, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. It's a cool life. Absolutely. This is just awesome stuff. I could listen to you all day, Crescent, because you are <laughs> reimagining. Um, I'm from the UK, so I love to hear about alternate ways oh, yeah. of delivering education. And I think people that have a global perspective, um, sometimes you bring something fresh and new. And, you know, people are sometimes resistant to that, but that's where you have change makers and people that are dynamic and innovative like you that can bring those alternatives and, and share. Um, we want to be respectful of your time. We know that you're really busy. so Thank you, Liz. I, to, I could talk yeah, all day. So I, appreciate I your could, time. too. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, could talk yeah, to you yeah. as well because you, you had so much to share. And, and this is, this is like, really innovative stuff. So I'm, like, literally on the edge of my seat right now listening to you. But oh, we you. want to just, um, you know, just wrap up by asking you a couple questions uh, that we always, like, try to, I'll try to keep it finish short. out with. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, what are the – maybe a, a couple little – tidbits that you might want to leave us with about what you're doing with your college and, and what do you see as the future of higher education going into? Okay, so 
Yeah, the future of higher education, I think it's going to get back to the Amazon model. The, you know, the, the bigger you are, the bigger your endowments are, the more real estate you can buy up, the, the more fancy lazy rivers you can put in, the more students you're going to get. So I think that's the, that's the track of higher education in America, which is really sad indeed. Um, so I think that's the future of higher education. It's more commodification. It's more technology-based rather than human-based. And so, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so in terms of just leaving you with, uh, you know, we are looking for the right kinds of people who want to get involved. Uh, and, you know, one of these founders of Yelp, uh, Preston Yonkers on my, on our board. And, uh, we, we do have, we have, we really do have this uh, desire for an incubator in our bachelor's program where, you know, our students can develop business plans that we'll invest in for a stake. So think about this. Our college has an incubator, then we give startup funds, if it's a good startup plan, uh, to launch that business. Okay, so now a student has a job. They have, they have investment in the college. The college has investment in their company. And as their company grows, if it, you know, if it fails, fine. But as companies grow from our graduates, we also grow. And do you see, do you see how you can start to do things not from – the 1% top down, not from a centralized bank that controls what you can and cannot do, but from people power itself. And that's what we're really trying to open the doors up and, and do. Maybe it's too, maybe it's too 60s for people. I don't know, but we're certainly in the, you know, not we're, for we're me, certainly. Preston, I'm right <laughs> with you. I'm like, you dude, I got London? my fist up right from? now. I'm from Southeast uh, London. From? I'm from Peckham. Oh yeah, I was just an elephant. Not too uh, back in, in February, I was an elephant in in London. Elephant uh, Castle. Elephant, just, yeah, yeah, Elephant Castle. Yep. And yeah. uh, and I was visiting with Daniel Benzali, who teaches in our drama department, and he is a global. Uh, what is he? He he won a, He was nominated for a Glo Golden Globe Award for. Uh, do you remember Murder One back in the nineties? Anyway, he was the lead actor, and he's done like. 007 films and all that. Daniel Benzali is a good friend, and that's where I met him. But anyway, it's really great to chat with all of you. And, Absolutely. you know, I, I really am a fan of what you're doing, and I appreciate Thank your you. time. Thank you. There you have it, everybody. Dr. Creston Davis, founder uh, and CEO of the Global Center for Advanced Study. Liz, what did you think of that interview? I loved it. I couldn't get enough of him. I was like, literally, like, if I had pearls on right now, I would have been clutching my pearls. I was kind of like clutching my pearls and ultimately kind of like laughing, but also fist pumping. He had so many really innovative and creative and out of the box ways of looking at education, higher education, how we offer education, the debt problem, just um, what we, the value that we bring to students, bringing students in as creators. Some of the, some of the, all the things that we talk about on the podcast and, and that a lot of leaders um, bring to us in terms of alternate ways of structuring and even like I mentioned uh, when we were speaking with Carson, even Ken Newman talked about this idea of the, the the whole gaming aspect of creating these universes where a lot of like my kids spend hours on Roblox and it's like they the the the, the people that are the gamers are actually the ones creating the world and then they can 
generate revenue and everyone's in this ecosystem. And I always think about higher education and I've asked a couple of our guests that, like, how come we can't create something where we're all participating in this this universe because we do it in so many other ways that somehow education isn't able to replicate that. The same thing that we do in social media with Facebook or the same thing that they do in Roblox. How come we can't create a community and make everyone invested in it? And he kind of addressed that that's something that he wants to do. He wants to create something where everyone has buy-in, the faculty, the staff, the administration, the students, everyone is getting something out of it and no one's getting left behind. So I, I love the idea of that. Yeah, and you know, really the cryptocurrency idea, the investment of the student to, to um, the benefit as they progress with their education or, or mm. become marketers for the university and then, mm. you know, the faculty benefiting from their hard work and, uh, and maybe ways they went into traditionally. I mean, all of that is, this is what the EdUp experience is about, ladies and gentlemen, bringing on people that work in higher education, that think differently, that um, are trying to change higher education with new models, challenging the traditional. I mean, this is uh, the way education is going. It's always evolving and it's people with uh, great ideas that help it get to the next level. So we were, what a great honor it was to have Dr. Creston Mm -hmm. Davis with us. Uh, Another great episode, Liz. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we are signing off until next time. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So, Please, as always, feel free to share this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.